expert opinions are oftentimes presented here. You're locked in with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. He's Blank, I'm Branham. 713-780-ESPN, 8437. And Bregman's gone after this year, which I'm retiring to talking contract. Uh, hopefully we get 19 Bregman. I'll let him go get his money elsewhere, but I'll 100, 100% take the career year as a send-off. I don't think it's realistic. Alex Bregman has not been the same player since 2019. Like, 18-19, he was on a different level. 926 OPS over a 1,000 OPS in 18-19. Since then, his highest OPS season was 820. Like, he is a shell of that. Still a productive player, still a good player, but the whole 300 million 10 year thing like that should have like that's Bregman 1819 what he has been since then is nowhere near a 30 million dollar a year player no way no way and i think that maybe that they were hoping that you know the astros were going to do what they haven't shown that they're willing to do and, and and like be emotionally tied somewhat to him there's no way he's coming up with those numbers and i i dare i say in the rest of his career like we saw the best of alex bregman and those days are already behind us. So now it's how much more of Alex Bregman at an above average level can you expect to see and what are you willing to pay? I don't think they should be consider- be considering paying him 30 million or more dollars a year. I don't think that he should be paying be, be considered being paid more than he's making even this year. But I think that there's going to be a team or two out there that get into a bidding war for him for the fact that it's going to be more about what he's done than what he can do for them and a marketing push as well as his ability. And not to say that he doesn't have any ability left, but I just don't think he – I think it's crazy for 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 anybody in the Astros organization or fans of the Astros to think they should consider paying him that kind of money. Yeah, I think so as well. All right, Texans offseason coming up. We're going to start getting some offseason news really, really soon, whether it's a contract extension, whether it's like these little deadlines, things like et cetera, et cetera. March, early March, you're looking at franchise tags. Of course, draft stuff's going to be heavy. It's going to be real hot. Uh, already is. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. What makes a successful or disappointing offseason for the Houston Texans? How, how would you answer that question, Blankers? What makes a successful offseason for the Houston Texans? Well, I think the first thing is that they hit on, some, hit on the draft. I think the biggest thing for me is the fact that regardless of how they figure out their finances and what they choose to do resigning their players and going out into free agency, that the bigger thing to me is, is that if they have the kind of drafts that they've been that they've been putting together over the last two years and add some quality starters that that would be a, a huge step in the right direction for this thing going the way I want it to go if it's a defensive tackle in the first round great if it's a wide receiver at some point fantastic safety is I mean uh, safety is something that needs to be addressed as well as corner uh, and, and and then we can talk about running game and or offensive line but I think that if they can come out of that draft with four or five starting potential players. I think anybody should say your first, your second, and your third should be guys that should start pretty close to right away. I think it's lofty. I think it's lofty. I I would would agree first and second, but to say four or five rookies to start for you. Well, but think about that, Jerry. Now, now, depending on what they do at running back, too, I get it. But, like, you could add a running back in the fourth round. You could add a, a receiver in the third round. And, and depending on how you start and line up offensively, they could start. But I think that first and second round for sure, and then uh, obviously you hate to think about you don't want injuries to play into this, but but realistically, if you could add, okay, let's just say three. If you could add three starters, or, or are you going to say two? 
But I would like to say that I'd say three would be great. But if you got the potential to have three starters down the road, then that's already but then you've done your job. You've got and you're added more depth on the backside. So now it's like the fact that if they could do what D'Amico wanted them to do, bolster the running game, bolster the defensive line. Then I think that they've done enough for me to keep this train moving forward in the right direction. I don't want them to and everybody's clamoring for this big home run deal. I don't want them to overspend on a Mike Evans or or go for a big massive home run deal because that could screw them up financially. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And like it's a, it's a very vague question. What makes a successful offseason? What makes a disappointing offseason? 713-780-3776. Uh, 5605, the biggest thing we can send uh, successful to keep the majority of their current players, uh, consistency and chemistry, and the key to success. That's from Spud. I think that's a solid answer. Uh, 4199, sign a big name early and find opportunistic ads late in free agency for the players who may have waited too long. Okay, that's that's a that's a solid plan. I, I don't like the big game Mm-mm. fishing, quite frankly, because like in a roundabout way, you kind of got to my answer too. Like I really don't care. Well, I mean, I do care how many starters you get in the draft, but I think to make this offseason successful, I think you have to find ten starting caliber players that aren't currently under contract. Like Singletary is not under contract. Schultz not under contract. Grenard not under contract. Steven Nelson not under contract. If you brought back all four of those guys, well, those are four starting caliber players. Where's the upgrade though? So I think that you have to find ten starters. I think you need a starter at running back. I'm going to include a third uh, third receiver as a starter. I think you need a starting level tight end. You currently don't. Have have that Schultz is a free agent I think you need a starting caliber left guard if you don't believe in Kenyon Green I think you need a starting caliber left guard now if Kenyon Green develops and he is your starting left guard cool like that that takes one away you need a starting caliber defensive end you need a starting caliber defensive tackle next to Collins I think you need at least one linebacker maybe two like do you have confidence in Henry Toa Toa uh to be a starter, I don't think that they did in the second half of the season. He didn't get on the field a whole lot. He was playing backup linebacker snaps. The only one that you have under contract is Harris. Do you need one? Do you need two? Uh, you need a quarter. You need a corner opposite of Stingley. You need a nickel. Do you believe in Jimmy Ward as your safety opposite of Petrie? So, like, there are so many starting caliber players that need to be like added to this team. Now, some of them are going to be the guys that you potentially re-sign, but they're not under contract for next year. So for this to be a successful offseason for me, they have to add 10 starting caliber players. And that's a tall that's a tall thing to do. Like that's challenging. Uh, I know that the Texans have cap space, you know, over fifty million dollars. I know that they have their full allotment of draft picks, but to your point, they have to hit on these guys. Like if you get two, three in the rookie draft class, okay, well now you need seven starting caliber players. And if you have fifty two million dollars to spend and you're looking for seven starting caliber players, and this is before you even fill out the entire roster, let's trim it down to like forty two and you spend the other ten million dollars on depth, you're talking about six million dollar average for the other seven starting caliber players so I don't think that's why I think that's why you don't big game hunt in free agency because you have to spread it out here the Texans have a ton of holes that is my answer 10 starting caliber players in the offseason period yeah and I think that again you have to get creative too we talked about guys that you might be able to get rid of to try and add some more finances to the possibility yep. Uh, 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 but it being... doesn't change the starting caliber player. No, you know what I mean. Right, it gives you more opportunity to get it, but those still those holes still exist. Yeah, you can get some. You get rid of those guys, but and you can get a starter or two, or mm-hmm. you know, a couple back. But at the same time, 
Like, I, I think people have these grandiose expectations that you're going to go out into free agency and you're going to make this massive splash with one one name. And I, I just don't think it's realistic. I, I think there's too many. The depth to me right now is more important than to sign that one big name guy. And because this team has already shown you, you've got guys that can be big time players for you. You got big time re- receiving capabilities. You've got a big time quarterback. You got a big time pass rusher. So you've got a lot of guys that are big time for you. Now you just got to improve the depth that we knew was a major issue down the stretch for this team. And they got lucky in a lot of ways that some vets broke free and that Casario made some, some additions that ended up actually playing a role for them. See, I think that's the biggest misnomer when you look at this offseason for the Texans. Like, you see the big number, oh, 70 million. Oh, they resign, they, they signed these reserve guys. Oh, it's down to, you know, 55. Oh, they're going to have to spend three and a half on a rookie class. Oh, they need a kicker and a punter under contract. Oh, they have t- they have that many holes? Because you think, okay, we'll just bring back Schultz. And it's like, well, if you just bring back Schultz, it really doesn't do anything with the salary cap. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it, it, it does. Yep. So, the, the Texans, I read today, I was reading DJ Enemy's article on ESPN, kind of his off-season primer, and he says that the Houston Texans, uh, I can't remember if it was the most players that are free agents that were on their roster last year or the most, like, maybe it was the most roster spots to fill uh, in free agency or in the off-season, rather. That, that they, they don't have many players that are currently under contract. All of the, the reason that they have so much cal- salary space because everybody came off the books. And if everybody comes off the books, that means you have to fill all of those holes. So I don't think people realize that you still have to have st- like 10 starting caliber players. So for me, that's my answer. And if you give... $20 million to Grenard, and then you're trying to give $20 million to Mike Evans, you're not finding 10 starting caliber players. You're finding two, and then you're finding a bunch of scrubs after that. And I think the other thing that, that again, we try to be the reality check for some of the fans. I think, well, everybody loved playing here last year, and they're going to give the team you know, some, some, some team-friendly deals. Stop. Just stop doing that. You know, these guys have mouths to feed, and these guys have have financial ambition that they want to obtain. And if it's not going to be here, they, they damn well are going to check out every opportunity to make that kind of money that, that that they're hoping to make somewhere else. This is their livelihood. And yes, maybe they had a great experience here, and they had a great time playing here. And Singletary was one of the guys that said it was the most fun he's ever had playing football here. But at the same time, if Singletary gets another offer from another team that's a million and a half to two million dollars more than what the Texans were thinking about paying him do you think for a half second that he's going to blink an eye before he goes and signs with the other team because i don't the even if they do give him that discount though it's like it's not going to be 50 percent. it's going to be like a 10 percent discount so instead of paying a guy 10 million you pay him nine so like yeah that's helpful that that helps but it's not like this huge savings it's a savings of one million if john grenard gives you a hometown discount and instead of taking 18 million he takes 15 million which I don't think he will, but if he does, that's still only $3 million in savings. You know what I mean? Right. Like maybe that gives you another fringe starter, but it, and it, it certainly helps in the long run. If you can save you know dollars anywhere you can, that's very, very helpful. But it doesn't like all of a sudden mean that you're signing two really good free agents because one guy takes a slight hometown discount. So This is you where know. you've got to get so much more creative and savvy at just balancing your books. Yeah, I think Casario's good at that. Do you think mm-hmm. Casario's good at that? I do. I, I believe in him for doing that because I think that's a lot of what he was uh, kind of given the responsibility of handling when Bill Belichick was the front man for, for personnel moves. I think that there's no doubt that he has experience, and I also think that he has a staff behind him that has that kind of experience. But it... Uh, nonetheless, it's going to be challenging. You're going to have to be creative and savvy. 
and, and you might have to make a move or two that, you know, one, the fans aren't going to understand that you might have a little remorse in doing, but it's for the long-term benefit of this yeah. team. See, that's why I'm pretty aggressive with the guys I cut. That, that's why I'm cutting Robert Woods. That's why I'm cutting mm-hmm. Jimmy Ward. Because I don't think those two guys are really starting caliber players anymore. And if Mm-mm. I can save $5 million on Robert Woods and I can translate that to Curtis Samuel, I feel like that's an upgrade. If I can save $4 million on Jimmy Ward and I can sign somebody else at $4 million who's an upgrade over Jimmy Ward, that's that's a win. And I think that's how you win in the NFL. Return on investment, salary cap league, the teams that win are the ones that get the most value from the dollar. And these are the ones where, rather than the, the big-name frontline guys that people are expecting, oh, they see the Texans and they want to play for a winner and they want to go there, these are the ones where you might win the, the Trump, you ha- hold the Trump card between two organizations in terms of a veteran that goes, well, between the two teams, I got a, a sub-500 team and I got the Texans. I'd really like to try and win something. I, I, if the money's close to the same, I'm going to Houston. That's where you can win one of these deals in free agency as opposed to some of the big-time guys that are looking for their bag no matter who's offering it to them. Joe, what, what does it take to have a successful offseason for the Texans? Yeah, for me, it's it's kind of similar to what you were saying, Jeremy. It's about, like, you have to get quality and volume. Um, like, you need 10 starters. I totally agree. But I also think you have to find a way to upgrade at least two or three of those players that you're replacing. Like, I, I Devin Singletary would be a nice piece, but if you can upgrade him for, you know, if he's if he's six million dollars and Saquon's eight million dollars and and saves somewhere else, I, I think you have to do that. Like, you can't just bring back guys that are the same quality because I think we saw how far it can take you. And like, I don't really know if you can address your depth this offseason either. That's what I think the Texans are in a hard position with is that because they have all these free agents, I don't know how you add starters and depth in one offseason. It's probably yeah. just not possible. I, you have to. I think you have to draft really well. Yeah, the like, back end of your draft has got to give you depth. And I think it's to, to more to, to kind of Blanker's point. Like even if you're not drafting three starters, well, maybe you're drafting two, but then you're drafting four twos. Kind of like Jared Patterson. Like Jared Patterson can start in a pinch, but he's more of a backup. But you drafted a guy who's going to be on your two deep. I think that's a win, especially if it's in the late round. Like Jared Patterson, a six rounder, being a backup offensive lineman is a win because now you have a guy on your two deep that's making the rookie minimum. Same thing with Henry Toa Toa. Like I don't think Henry Toa Toa is a starting caliber player in the NFL. I really don't. I think he's limited athletically. I think he's limited from a skill set standpoint. I think he's a really smart player, high IQ. But if he's only a backup for the four years that you have him, I think that's a win where where you drafted him. Mm-hmm. Like every guy that, that you draft doesn't need to be a starter. But if you draft fourth, fifth, sixth rounders who are you're on your two deep, they're your backups, they can start two to three games in a pinch, that's a victory for a fourth, fifth, sixth rounder. There's no doubt about it because the guys that you've done in the past, and 202 is a perfect example, he might have slight limitations on multiple skill set fronts, but the fact that he's a smart player, that he's got great instincts, that the fact in the short term he can cover you, it's like a good backup quarterback. You don't need him for 17 games, but when you call his number, you hope for a couple of games he can fill in and get you by. And I think that you can get those kind of players that give you better depth in the middle of the middle of the late rounds of the draft. Stroud uh, on the Twitter says uh, drafting signing a, a three down running back would be a little costly uh, unless it's to the draft. But then you got to hit. Uh, and that's the other thing. Like you don't know on draft day if you did that. Like what if he turns out to be bad? Like you're not going to yeah. know this until after the year. That's why you have to be kind of creative on how you answer. Well, this. because like look look at Pierce. No one thought Pierce after coming off the year that he had. No one thought that he wouldn't be a fit with the with the Texan scheme early on. And you found out the harsh reality as the season went on. And to Joe's point, the one way where you could possibly make a splash, but it's not that big fish, is if you could get Saquon closer to eight 
because of the fact that that's a name that everybody pays attention to. That's an upgrade, you think, at the running back position. I mean, it should be. And you look, you're not going to have to pay 20 to $30 million to try and get a guy like that. The more I crunch the numbers, the more I like Joe's idea. What did you say it was Henry and Singletary, Joe? Oh, like yeah, the, yeah. Random running back? Yeah, Henry and Singletary. Like you get Henry at like a five, Singletary to four. You pay two running backs nine as opposed to paying Barkley 11. Like, kind of like the idea about that. Tristan says improve the running game, fix the holes defensively, add talent to the offensive to the offense in general. It's costly. Uh, and then getting an RB1, says Luis. And that's the other thing. You don't know You don't know whenever you sign them if they're going to have success. Yeah, the only way that I think that you can add to the offense right now significantly w- without having to pay through the nose is that you, you can add depth to the to the offensive line. But if you're going to if you want a tight end like Schultz, you're going to have to pay. If you want the receivers you get, yeah, they're they're not going to be cheap, but they're yeah, you could get a couple guys hopefully that aren't going to be too expensive. But if you're looking for like the, the guys that, that are going to change this offense like monumentally or be huge impact guys, I don't think that the Texans are in that market. Yeah, it's going to be fun. 713-780-ESPN. What makes a successful offseason for the Texans? Uh, one th- one way is through the draft. We talked about that. We've, we've been making mock drafts great again, and we've been making the Texans better. How do we do that today? Today's mock draft, Phil Yates of ESPN, making mock drafts great again with the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Time to get back to sports school with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. He's Blank, I'm Branham. We're making mock drafts great again. Today we're making mock drafts great again with Phil Yates' first mock at uh, ESPN, making the Texans better too. Uh, by the way, uh, Cooper DeGene, mm-hmm. he is a polarizing figure, I've learned. Mm. Yeah, they have all sorts of conversations when you start thinking and start talking. Cooper DeGene. I've seen I've seen yeah, some. Yeah, yeah it's a, gets it's dicey in a hurry. Interesting conversation. Uh, he went. He, he, you're looking for some interaction. You're looking to inform some engagement. Talk about Cooper DeGene joining your team. It has nothing to do with how you pronounce his last name. I can tell you that. No, it's crazy. It, it, the, the conversations are, are wild uh, when you start talking about him being a potential corner uh, in the NFL. Anyways, Phil Yates is mock draft. He has Caleb Williams going number one to Chicago. No surprise there. Jaden Daniels, the Heisman, number two to Washington. Seeing more of that. Uh, Drake May goes number three to the Patriots. Marvin Harrison Jr. to Arizona. No surprise. Joe Alt. Number five to L.A. That's as high of, as I've seen Joe Alt. So pretty high for uh, some you know protection for Justin Herbert there in L.A. Malik Neighbors goes number six to New York. Rome Odunze uh, goes to the Titans at seven. Give Levis a little bit of help. Uh, number eight, Dallas Turner, the edge from Alabama. Latou Latou from UCLA goes number nine. We were talking about him yesterday yeah. in the 23 to 26 range. He goes number nine. I, I've seen him. The, the volatility on Latou has been unbelievable. Top ten pick. Some people say he might not make it in the first round. Uh, he's all over the board. Uh, the Jets go Alumawa, Fashuna, say it with conviction, the tackle from Penn State. Uh, fast forward, quarterbacks along the way. McCarthy goes number 12 to Denver, so Peyton gets a quarterback. Brock Bowers falls to 16. Did you see the picture of Brock Bowers? I did. Next to, I, I, he, he lost some draft stock for me. It, because he looked like Brady on draft day? He looks like an accountant. That's what I'm yeah. saying. He looks like he could have been running in khakis. Yeah, I, mean, I don't like that. Yeah, he tight looked, end. I don't want to say he looked doughy, but he just didn't look like all rocked up that you would expect, like no. a tight end coming out possibly in the top ten. 
I don't even believe it was him. Like he didn't have a tight end; he had a loose end. I don't want my tight ends to have loose ends. I didn't like that. Uh, I can totally see him falling outside of the top fifteen. Uh, Bo Nix goes number twenty to the Steelers. That would be interesting because they they'd have Pickett and then Bo Nix in the twenties as well. All right. So for the Texans, they have them selecting Enos Rakestraw Jr., the corner from Missouri. If this is the pick, would you be okay with it come draft day? Yeah, I think, again, it's just a clear-cut sign. If this is the pick that you've moved on from Stevie Nelson, you're looking for a young, athletic corner that could be your bookend with Stingley uh, to be part of the defense that D'Amico would love to have in terms of guys that are going to be blanketing, you know, no matter how many receivers a team has, you've got two guys that can blanket your two best and let your defensive line do a lot more of what he wants to do. So I'd be totally fine drafting corner, and I think that that would be the the indication uh, that you were moving on from Stevie Nelson. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, you, and you probably already have your Stephen Nelson answer by draft day. Right. Uh, and if you bring back Stephen Nelson, you're not, so you know, drafting a corner, I don't think. Um, I, I'd be a fan with this. Uh, there's not many positions that I would be upset about at number 23. Uh, corner, pairing next to Stingley, you get younger there. Uh, if you feel like it's going to help out your defense, I, I'm all in favor of it. So I'm I'm cool if Rake Straw is the pick at 23. He might not be my favorite corner, but if they're telling me, I trust Amico. I think Nick Casario has earned the right to be trusted on draft day two. I'd be cool with Rake Straw. Joe, M- Mocha Joe, would you be okay with Rake Straw? Yeah, I think it's a pretty good pick. Like, I definitely it, – it's he's more of a man coverage guy, so I guess that's a signal, really, of what they're going to do. I mean, I felt like, you know, Stingley was much better a man than the mm-hmm. defense – he and the defense were in zone last year. So Not what D'Amico likes doing generally. D'Amico's more of a zone guy. Yeah, so, like, that kind of where it surprises me. Like, once I saw Fields mock, I was looking into it, and, like, the big thing about Rakestraw was he's kind of a press man guy. So that does seem a little bit of a change to what they would normally do, but maybe – People think D'Amico would go more man if he had the corners to do it. You think that's what it is, though? You I think, don't know. You think, you think that's what it is, or you think these mock drafters just don't really have any idea about philosophy? Uh, probably that part. I think it's that. I think yeah. I think they're more hell-bent on being great evaluators of if they make it in the league or not and stuff, as opposed to scheme fit. And it's so yeah. hard, because a lot of these times, these guys, like they don't they do not do it based on fit, necessarily. So, like They'll do the quarterbacks based on need, but everything else is based on best available. Yeah, they see that the Texans could use a corner, and they're like, okay, this is the best corner that I have left here, yeah. and they're not looking at like I, I think that it's very rare, especially early. It, it might happen a little bit more later, closer to the draft, but I think it's extremely rare for these mock drafters to incorporate scheme into their selections. Yeah. Like I think, they, I think the Texans – like if you had two equals at corner – like you had, you know, player X and then player Y, they're graded the exact same, but player X is better zone than man and player Y is better man than zone. I think they would go with the zone guy. Yeah, I think the other thing is it, it relates back to the conversation we had a segment or two ago when you realize that whoever you take in the first round is going to have to be a starter. So not only does it mean that you're moving on from Stevie Nelson, but if you're taking a corner in the first round, I think the assumption is is that he's going to start immediately for you on that defense for D'Amico, and that's where you get into scheme fit. Uh, let's take a look at our multiple choice. Rake Straw is on the table here. Uh, the next pick is Edger and Cooper, linebacker that I love from Texas A&M. Cooper DeGene is uh, the corner from Iowa we just talked about. He goes number 25. And then Graham Barton, interior offensive lineman, guard center, uh, could probably play either one. He's the uh, the next pick. He's from Duke. Uh, so you multiple choice. You put your feet in Casario's shoes on draft day. You pick in Rake Straw, Cooper, DeGene, or Barton. See, I think Barton is intriguing because he plays multiple positions on the line. But like I said, I, that means you're completely passing 
on on your former first round pick at, at Green at, at left guard, and I, I just don't think you can you can go for like that kind of insurance type pick with a start with the potential to start. I think you got to go to a true starter. I think there's a need for both linebacker and corner. I think for me the most imp- the most pressing need on this team is going to be either replacing Grenard or signing him and or what you do with Stevie Nelson on the defensive side. So I'm going to stay stay with Rakestraw and just say, hey, look, you've, you've replaced one of your starters with a veteran. You've replaced a veteran guy, older, looking for big money, with an, a, a very much more inexpensive kid that's going to bookend Stingley, and I'll, I'll start there and, and stick with exactly who he had him with. I like uh... – I like all four of these prospects. Like this has been the the most difficult one for me that we've had in the last few days because I, I like Rake Straw's game. Now the, the the fact that he's more of a man guy versus his own guy kind of comes into the play here a little bit. Lance has him as a six point three six grade. Will eventually be a plus starter. Cooper DeGene is somebody that interests me. Uh, he has him as a six point three four. Will eventually be a plus starter as well. His write up on DeGene though talks about him that he's not great with lateral movement, like freak athlete, really fast, but like his side-to-side quickness isn't outstanding. I didn't love reading that from a corner. And he talks that he might be better at a safety as well, where it's like, I don't know if I want to draft a safety at 23 if I have another option at a corner uh, who's good. I love Edgerin Cooper. I think Edgerin Cooper can give you a little bit of pass rush from middle linebacker too, which is kind of like, you know, taboo. It's not something you see a whole lot of, maybe more nowadays in the NFL. I still think it's a little too high for him though. Like if, if yeah, he's not going to slide to the Texans second rounder, but I think he's more of a second rounder than a late first. And then the Graham Barton thing intrigues me as well, because mm-hmm. if, if you've made up your mind on Kenyon Green that you think he's a bust, I think you need uh, to, to bring in an interior offensive lineman. Um, but if you haven't, then you're not dra- drafting an interior offensive lineman in the first round. I love all four of these options, quite frankly. It's a difficult one for me. I'm going to go with Enos Rakestraw. I'm going to keep it Rakestraw, even though it might not be the perfect scheme fit. I wouldn't mind if the Texans played a little bit more man, because I like what Stingley does in man coverage. Uh, I think that Kansas City played a lot of man against San Francisco and had great success in the Super Bowl. So I'm sticking with Rakestraw. Joe? Yeah, I, I lean Rakestraw here, too. Um, I, I like DeGene, um, or Dijon Muster, whatever he is. DeGene. Um, I, I think corner is, is going to be the one position that they're going to have a hard time filling in free agency because I don't think, I don't think Nelson will be here. I think they'll try to replace King as well. And I don't think they're going to be in the luxurious need Jalen Johnson market. Like we discussed yesterday, you know, I don't, I don't think they're going to spend $20 million on a cornerback. So I think corner is going to be the biggest need the Texans have in the draft and the way these drafts are falling, you know, we did the Chad Reuter one yesterday. They had the Texans taking Kool-Aid McKinstry in the second round. Like that blew my mind. Reuters was the worst I've seen. Yeah, It it probably was too. But like, there's so many of these corners that we're seeing. Like every time we do this, we're talking about multiple different corners on the board for the Texans at 23. It does feel like there's a chance for one to fall, but I'm still taking the one I like the most here. And and for me, that would be Ray straw. It's the SEC thing. Do you eliminate Cooper? No. No, I like Cooper. He, I like Cooper. Joe, Joe's already been on record liking it. Yeah, I like oh, Cooper. Really? Yeah, yeah, I said we did that a couple like uh, like a week ago. I went with Cooper. He yeah, said the, the fact that, that he wanted a white corner was intriguing. That's not what I said. <laughs> no, I, was, I meant Edrin Cooper. I meant Edrin Cooper. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I think that'd be a good fit. I don't. Do I want to go linebacker? See, that's what I think. That's where I'm at. Like, I love like, him as a player. I don't know if I want him at 23. Yeah, like I I think it, Jack Campbell was a good player for the Lions this last year. I don't think I like investing in a linebacker that high in the draft. Like I just, 
the, the linebacker market for agency is is going to be so top heavy, you know, with White and, and Patrick Queen that it it should dilute the middle tier. And like I think you can get a Paraman level player, whether it's just him or someone else, Man. in free agency. Hopefully, someone that can cover about- tight ends. When you're drafting linebackers coming out of college, it's such an in-depth position in a lot of ways that it's tough for a guy to make an impact right away. And like we were talking about, you got to replace starters. I just I would be concerned that if you're taking a linebacker there, one first and foremost because of the needs this team has, and two because of the fact that if you're whoever you take is expected to start right away. I just wouldn't put that kind of heat on a guy like that to bring him into the system and start him right away in D'Amico's defense. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. You have your pick of those four: Enos Rakestraw, Edrin Cooper, Cooper DeGene, Graham Barton. Who are you taking? Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Joe makes faces on Wednesday, and there's a lot of reasons that Joe's making faces today. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five. Anyone can have a hot take on sports. You're going to continue to be a bunch of soft, underperforming, tattooed millionaires. But that's not what these guys are about. Joel and Jeremy are real, actual human beings, guys that have lives, families, and feelings and stuff. So it's WTF Wednesday. WTF, why the face? Where these guys let you in on their non-sports interests, goals, and dare I say it, dreams. But more than likely, they're going with all of the WTF moments of the past week. It's WTF Wednesday. Why the face? With the Killer Bees. He's blank. I'm Branham. We are the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Joe makes faces on Wednesday. Why is Joe making faces today? Yeah, a little more sportsy this week for a Why the Face Wednesday. We've got three sports things uh, going on. So this first one here, uh, going a little viral. Uh, John Feliciano is a lineman for the 49ers. Was getting some hate, um, uh, uh, talking about a... Give some grief to a teammate that missed a big block on Brock Party. And uh, Jalen Carter uh, responded on Instagram. He said, quote, same dude who spoke on my dead teammate and the reason I was emotional during our game, SMH. Well, Jonathan Feliciano responded. He said, uh, a dude, talking about Jalen Carter, told me he was going to murder me and my kids and would never see me again three times because I was laughing at him after getting a flag. I said, I believe you got a body. Then he continued for weeks, posting my fam and reaching out to my friends. Yikes. This, Jeremy, is exactly what I think why you would have passed on him on the draft. This is what I I was like. I understand he's an unbelievable talent, but this is the possibility of the backlash when you take a guy like this that you already know has got a past. This is what no team wants to deal with. Yeah, I hope that this doesn't, like, uh, get worse. You know, like, it's one thing to talk. Like, I don't think he's going to go, like, you know, hopefully not kill anybody. Um, but I, I did have concerns. Mm-hmm. I had character concerns. I put a huge red marker right through his name. He was untouchable for me uh, for, you know, the reasons that we do know about. But then there's concerns of, like, does that continue? And for me, it was like, you can't trust him. Uh, you can't trust somebody. And if whenever you can't trust somebody, how do you line up next to him? How do you have faith that he's going to hit the A-gap on a very specific play whenever you absolutely have to have it? I think he was the most talented defensive player in the draft. 
uh, but I, I don't like the character stuff. I'm glad that the Texans got Will Anderson and not Jalen Carter because um, I think the character matters, and, and I think that like being having a good locker room matters. And I think D'Amico does too. I think D'Amico Ryans would be the first one to tell you that. So, yeah, this this is this another is- like sign of – why I didn't want anything to do with Jalen Carter. Well, this is also why organizations get so enamored with, in any professional sport, with ability on the playing surface and and, and tend to want to lose sight or just carelessly lose sight of just the overall. Because this is something that, say, Jalen Carter continues to play at a certain, a very high level, but you want to look past the other stuff. This is something that could actually derail a team when it's got momentum and playing at a certain level. And, and we've saw, we've seen this in the past. We've seen this here locally with certain teams, uh, with some or certain of our teams, where it doesn't matter and it, the, the teams need to take a closer look at just the overall character, not just the ability. I think the Texans do. Like, I, and that's, like, I think D'Amico does. I think Casario does. Now, what's funny and what's ironic is that we mocked the Texans for doing it in the past yeah. because they probably went a little overboard with it. Like This goes back to Bob. Bob McNair was, was big on never wanting to touch anybody that had a past. Yeah, and then it kind of got amplified with, with Easterby. <laughs> it got amplified with mm-hmm. Easterby a bit. What else you got, Joe? Well, past and versus killing someone is also a little different. I feel like compared to what the Texans are doing versus Jalen Carter. Um, apparently, only giving up 19 points to Patrick Mahomes in 60 minutes in a Super Bowl. And yes, losing in overtime means you suck at your job. Steve Wilkes got fired today. <laughs> this is, to me, this is crazy because of the fact that he did a hell of a job. with. A, I mean, obviously, anybody that's a defensive-minded coach would love to have the weapons that San Francisco has. But he, he did his job all season long. The, the biggest problem was, and Joe and I were talking about this a little bit before the show today, Like I go back to the fact that you know Shanahan had to call a timeout late in that game because he didn't like the defense, that the, the, zero, that, uh, the zero coverage that um, Wilkes put out there, and he had you know a ton of defensive backs on the field, and he, you, know, you could see him storming up and down the sidelines, and then when they came out of that timeout, they had a totally different look on defense. And, and this, to me... Wilkes is a scapegoat. I hate that this happened. I don't know that he deserved to have this happen. But now you've got players coming in and piling on. And Bosa saying that, you know, we didn't know how to handle the offense that the Chiefs came with them on that final drive. And they weren't prepared for it. So I think people are going to start piling on now looking for a scapegoat. Why do you need a scapegoat whenever you lose an overtime at the Super Bowl? Yeah. So but- why do you need it? Well, because I think that they know that they were the favorite. I think they feel like they should have won the game. I'm saying, Jeremy, I'm not saying it's justified. I'm saying that the nine, Shanahan's trying to, doesn't want the heat on him. He doesn't want the heat on him personally. He doesn't want to continue to have to keep talking about the, the coin toss and the other things that he's catching heat for. So they're going to, they're going to say maybe the way that they weren't prepared or they wanted, they had to come back after the fact and say they did discuss overtime and what they were going to do, that this is a way for them to kind of, to, to deflect. Yeah, I don't think that those questions go anywhere. Like, if, if he thinks that this is going to be something that he can do in order to deflect those questions or to deflect that stigma or to deflect that narrative, that's that's not happening. And I think that Shanahan is smart enough to know that it's not. I I give the benefit of the doubt to coaches uh, in, in these type of things, like the head coach. Like they, they know and they see it every single day. I don't think it was a scapegoat. I don't think that you need a scapegoat when you lose an overtime to the Super Bowl to Pat Mahomes, who might be the, best, the greatest quarterback talent of all time. Uh, the numbers support Steve Wilkes. They, they gave up the eighth most yards per game this year. They gave up the third or the eighth fewest yards per game. They gave up the third fewest points 
per game. So, like, Wilkes had a good year, you would think, on paper. But if is it that good of a year if you think you have the number one or number two best talented defense? Like, if you have a top two talent defense, top two roster on the defensive side, is eighth is eighth in defensive yards and third in defensive scoring good? I mean, for me, I, I would be pro-Wilkes throughout the regular season, but the three of us had this conversation multiple times throughout the playoffs. Look at the big names they have on their defensive line. Yes, some of them are overrated, busts, whatever you want to call them, but, like, where's Bosa? Where's Chase Young? Where are all these impact players that we've seen, you know, last year with D'Amico, the years before with Sala that are still on this roster? And it does feel like that even though they had a good regular season, it does feel like they lived up to, like, they, they failed to live up to expectation in the playoffs for the most part, except for the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, you, you lost Kidlaw essentially the whole game. But I would point more to the Detroit game also as part of the problem. Like, yes, you won, but you got cooked pretty much pretty consistently in the first half of that game. I mean, they went backwards. They went backwards defensively. They went from being the number one defense in the NFL, both in yards and points, to third and eighth. Because, like, and like, this is a guy where like everyone wants to scream. Everyone wants to scream like racism and all that stuff with Steve Wilkes. But look at his history. He got fired in Arizona after one year. He became the interim coach in Carolina. He had success, but they didn't keep him. And then now he got fired again by Kyle Shanahan after one season. Like, at some point, like, I don't know. Like, he just keeps getting fired after one opportunity everywhere. I think there's more to this story and the fact of what people really view him as a coach. And maybe he won't get many opportunities again. And Shanahan went outside for this hire. Like, he he Mm -hmm. lost two defensive coordinators in back-to-back years in Sala and D'Amico. And he went outside for a new defensive coordinator. And after a year, it's like, eh. Eh, not that impressed. And, like, it looks on paper, you have the third-best defense in points allowed, eighth-best defense in yards allowed. It's like, okay, you did a really, you did a good job. You did a good job. They were first in both the year before. They were number three the year before that was Sala. So it's like, okay, you got all this talent. Like, I know that it looks okay on paper, but was it as good as it should have been? And that's why that's why I give the benefit of the doubt to the head coach. Like Shanahan was with Salah, Shanahan was with D'Amico, Shanahan was with Wilkes, and at the end of the day, he says, "Eh, I think we can do better." And I don't blame him for that. Like it's it's a tough look, and like Shanahan's gonna get criticism for it, but he's doing what he thinks is in the best interest of his team, not because like you know he's trying to look. I don't think he's looking for a scapegoat. I don't think you need a scapegoat whenever you got to overtime in the Super Bowl and you were one play away from winning the whole darn thing. Well, I do. I think that that's part of it. And I think that, you know, when you, you look at, you could say the playoffs, but, you know, aside from a, a punt that hit one of your, your guys that ended up in the, the one opportunity, we talked about the, the one opportunity for the Chiefs to score a touchdown was a one-play drive. He he was doing a hell of a job kind of curtailing the Chiefs' offense for the entire that entire Super Bowl. So I got a tough time thinking they move on unless this was a personality you know personality conflict, and we've seen those on teams and sports. Joe, you got one more? Yeah, last one here. Uh, Brandon Marshall went on his podcast, the I Am Athlete podcast, and told this fascinating story, guys, about how Kanye West uh, supposedly bought seats right in front of Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl so that every single time Taylor was on television, Kanye would be on television. Uh, Brandon Marshall claims that Taylor Swift got uh, peed off, and uh, she called uh, the hit, basically, on Kanye West and got him kicked out of the Super Bowl before he could even be on television with her at the same time. The problem is, is that within minutes, uh, 
Kanye West's own representatives told TMZ that this is a total fake story and Kanye West was absolutely not kicked out of any seat or out of the Super Bowl. Hmm. Where'd he get this from? I think he just made it up. Was he just he looking just for run for the podcast? Yeah, he or? just likes to get run. Yeah. I feel like they should sue him. That's crazy. Honestly, it's Kanye. Probably he might. Well, you heard, did you see Ozzy's tweet the other day? Oh. You think you think Kanye yeah. made it up or Brandon Marshall? I think Brandon I think Marshall Brandon made Marshall. it up. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. Well, that's who you have to sue for slander then. Well, and then uh, Ozzy Osbourne came out in all capital letters a couple days ago and said that Kanye wanted to sample one of his songs it, it, on his next album, and Ozzy said absolutely not, and Kanye did it anyway. And so Ozzy was all up in arms, and that was a big deal. Really? Yep. That's messed up. You can't be doing that. Right. You got you to sue. I don't know what the ramifications are for that, but yeah, obviously it starts with a lawsuit. You have to get pretty heavily sued. You haven't made it in business until you get sued anyways. All right, that does it for Why the Face Wednesday. Why are you making faces today? 713-780-3776. Every now and then we have a will of bits. We never know what we're going to get. We never tell you beforehand, but it's electric, and you can't miss it. What bit today on the will of bits on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5? Guys, for the break, tell you a little bit about Allstate Windows and Siding. Now's a great time to upgrade, for a lot of us, what your biggest investment is, and that's your house. And the way that you can do that is upgrading your windows and your siding. And it's fantastic because you can benefit in so many ways. Obviously, you keep the energy in. The summer, you want the air conditioning in. The winter, you want to keep it warm. During hurricane season, as we've all experienced, you want strong, tough outer shell that from the windows to the siding can protect your house and your family and the contents inside. That's why you would call the best in the business Allstate Siding and Windows because they are here to help. They've been in business for almost 50 years, family-owned through three generations. Mary and Mike, the entire family, they're there to help you and they are going to tell you a, a plethora of different ways that they and their products can be a huge assistance to you and your house. And the other thing you got to keep in mind is your energy bills can go down up to 40% with these windows and the siding. Right now, $2,500 off on complete siding jobs. 24 months, interest-free. I'm telling you, they are the experts, and they're going to come to you and tell you what they can do. Check them out online, allstatewindowsandsiding.com. There's discounts for senior citizens, first responders, and military. Allstatesidingandwindows.com, or call them. It's the easiest thing you can do, and they can tell you how they can help. You can tell them what you're interested in, and they can show you how it can make a difference. 832-204-1936, 832-204-1936, allstatewindowsandsiding.com. It's the Killer Bees, and that means you have no idea what's happening next. Could it be the next great food debate? A Joel rant for the ages? An extra bad take from Joe? Or maybe Jeremy will call for a bounty gate on someone? Well, let's find out. It's time for the Wheel of Bits. Oh, my goodness, would you look at this. What an enormous bit. Let's play one must go. What an enormous spin. I love a good bounty gate. He's blank on Branham. All right, one must go was the will of bits today. You never know what you're going to get uh, with Bob Barker, the will of bits, and whoever I, says one must go. I feel S2E went through puberty and now is speaking clearly. Yeah, we got a new S2E. Oh, okay. Well, we, we bring out uh, the best in people. We, we force those to mature that are around us. Okay. All right, one must go. What uh, what are we choosing from here? All right, we'll go a little. We'll go a little Valentine's Day themed. Uh, one must go. One obligation that you should do that you don't want to do anymore. You can get rid of right now. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, buying flowers, okay. buying chocolates, fancy dinner. One must go for Valentine's Day. What are you getting rid of? It's a good one. Um, 
man. I think this this changes as you get deeper into your relationship in terms of years and responsibilities. For me personally, the dinner thing is the is the easiest thing to go. What the dinner thing goes because of the fact that Lisa doesn't like to go out anyway, and, and she knows she's always like, you know what, everybody's gonna put their prices way up on Valentine's night and we've got work to do and the kids and everything like that. The dinner doesn't matter. She loves the chocolates. The chocolates is the top priority because she's always been a C's candy girl and she is a massive chocolate uh, fanatic. So it was always for me, the C's candies were a must no matter what. And she was also realistic on the flowers. I'd always give her the big flowers and the big vase and everything. And she's like, that's a waste of money and they're just going to die. And I'm just like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, I think the dinner is the biggest steal in in the society today because of the fact that everybody on valentine's day wants to they know they feel obligated to go to dinner and then the restaurants jack the prices up they do the same thing with flowers and chocolate i think the flowers stay the same no matter no what. no way no, no, no. The flowers i think the flowers go up like percentage wise the flowers and the chocolates go up way more than yeah, the dinner they like double my buddy owns a flower shop and the flowers in terms of like if you're going to just pick out i want this i want does, but now if you go out, go in there and you just want to do the quick grab and pay those Pre-arrangements are going to go probably up. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess that's all I ever buy. So I was in the grocery store last night at 10 o'clock. We had to get something for Taylor for school. And, and, and this dude double parks his car at Kroger, walks right in, leaves it running, and just says, what do you have for Valentine's Day? They point him out, and the ladies at the store were killing him because he was paying $250 for a dozen roses arrangement with a big vase. And they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm late. I got to get this done. How does someone double park their own car? I mean, they left it running on the curb with the with the caution lights on, and, and he just decided he could do and walked into the store. I think the dinner is the best part. Like, dinner is easily the best part for me. That's the one thing that I enjoy. Uh, like, I, I like buying my wife flowers and chocolate and putting a smile on her face. I don't get enjoyment out of the flowers. I don't get enjoyment out of the chocolate. And for saying that one must go, we're being selfish in this discussion. We're looking out for me, not we. Of those three things, the one that I enjoy the most is the dinner. Give me a good dinner. Give me a good steak dinner. Give me that absolutely. So that's the one that's staying. That one's staying before I'm getting rid of that. Flowers and chocolate, this one's tough, the one that I would have to eliminate. I, I think I like having flowers around more than I like. I'm not a huge chocolate guy. I know me being a contrarian, that shocks everybody. I'm not a huge chocolate guy. I like having the flowers around. It, it kind of lifts up the, the scene in the kitchen. They smell good. I think my wife likes flowers more than she likes chocolate. So I'll eliminate the chocolate here. Definitely keeping the dinner close between flowers and chocolate, but the flowers get the edge. Yeah, 100% for me, it's keeping the dinner as well. I like going out somewhere fancy, uh, even though we like to do it more than just on Valentine's Day. But I I like going somewhere fancy, so dinner's got to stay. And uh, I like living, so the flowers also stay. She's a big big flower fan. Yeah, I'll get killed. Like, I have to get off the air at 7 o'clock. Even though she gets home late tonight because she's working on Valentine's Day. Like, I got to go right to H-E-B, Kroger, somewhere, get some kind of roses, and probably will get the chocolates as well. But if I had to get rid of one, I'll get rid of the chocolate. Yeah, get, give me, uh, See me get in the, break. the chocolate for me. I don't need that. Uh, <laughs> seven yeah. months, I'm not reading that, Virginia. Uh, on the, uh, the YouTube, Desert says that um, – what, 
what uh, he says, make a romantic meal at home. Simple. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad idea. That's mm-hmm. fine too. I think that kind of qualifies though with the dinner. I think so too. It's yeah, still yeah I think that that's why I avoided going out because Lisa would prefer that we stay at home and, and we could still eat a good dinner. It's just that we, you're not dropping dropping a, a, a huge dime on a on a dinner you're forced to have to do because of the day of the week i think you're hedging calendar. a little bit i think you're hedging i'm not i don't care what you think i'm telling you right now what the way i think in in our relationship and i know how she thinks and if it makes her happy it doesn't make her happy to go out for dinner she doesn't she doesn't like really she feels uncomfortable a lot of times going out to fancy dinners and it's not her biggest thing I get it. Plankers don't like dinners. That's fine. Uh, 4710, the normal flowers I buy at HEB for $20 or $50. That's some price gouging. They should be thrown in jail for that. Uh, 2568. It's, it's, it's price gouging. Like, you get, whenever there's hurricanes, like, you can't, if you get caught price gouging gasoline, go to jail. They'll, they'll like, yeah, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll probably fine you. You might not go to jail, but at least they'll fine you. They'll, get, they'll, they'll give you a citation. The same thing should apply with these flowers. You're price gouging me whenever it's the, one of the only times I'm buying flowers. I, I think that that's criminal. You see them now, too, where they set up the, the, like, the drive by tents in the parking lot where you don't even have to go in the store. They've got all of the flowers and chocolates out in like a, a tent with one clear. Uh, front side to it, so you can just jump in and grab what you need for all the people that are procrastinators, and they're cashing in. Two five six eight potted flowers. That's what the wife wants, and they're Ooh. usually cheaper than arrangements. You know what you should you should just give her like you know the flower seeds and put plant them in the front yard. That's romantic, isn't it? Uh, Two eight five one. What do you mean? How does someone double park their own car? Double parkings whenever you park alongside another car and they can't get out. That's what a double park. Is. Double parking is parking where you're not yourself. supposed to park the car. No, that's not a double park. Double parking, t- you have to, you have to double parkings. Whenever you you double park, you park next to a car and they can't get out. Okay, I always thought that it was like you could park in a in where you're not supposed to park, like whether it's the red curb or. According to Wikipedia, parking double parking according to Wikipedia refers to par- parking parallel to a car already parked at the curb yeah. or double parking in attended car parks and garages. So that means part? that means that you would be parking on top of another car. You're yeah. blocking them in. Yeah, you're blocking them in. Yeah. But I also like Joel. Maybe it's a Midwest thing. Yeah, maybe. Because that's what how he said double parking is how I would have also described it. Is like parking, throwing on your like throwing on your flashers or whatever they're called, running your inside. Hazard, yeah. That's just parking illegally. Yeah, I, just, I I called it double parking. I did too. Still. Yeah, it's called but, if you're doing it with double spots like this guy, you don't go over the line and park in two spots. No, that's just that's parking in two spots. It's taking up two spots. It's not double parking. To double park, you got to block somebody in. Well, you know uh, that's an animal move, or it's a mammal, animal. or a this reptile. Says or parked at a curb. So I think we're both. I think we're all correct. I think you have to trap somebody in. Seven nine seven six six pack and steak for my wife. Like your wife. <laughs> what are your favorite Valentine Day traditions? Pick one. If you had to pick your favorite Valentine Day tradition, what is it? Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. I'm a little scared what we're going to get in return. Yeah, mention that. Like I, I like said, a good dinner, actually. <laughs> I think you got to know you got to know your significant other, and if you know, you know that it puts a smile on her face, and she loves cert, cert, a certain thing, like me with the the, the candy. Then you do that, and that's that's the best tradition you can have because you know you're making your wife happy. Give me the dinner, Joe. Want your favorite tradition? None of it. But I'll take the dinner. None of it. That's not. But you know the flowers make her happy. Yeah, I know, but I get flowers for every month. Oh, that's nice. Like so, like I'm, I think Valentine's Day is a waste of money. I agree. You get I price totally gouged. agree with that. 
price gouging. Uh, what is the level of scrutiny on Joe Espada this year? 713-780-3776. Killer B's ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5.